Welcome to Cold Steel, the Canadian Journal of Surgery podcast with your hosts Amir Farouk and Chad Ball. The goal of the CJS podcast is threefold. The first is to highlight the best research currently being completed by Canadian surgeons. The second is to offer educational topics for both surgeons and trainees alike. And most importantly, the third goal is to inspire discussion, thoughts, creativity, and career development in all Canadian surgeons. We hope you enjoy it. I'm honored to introduce Dr. Murad Hamid. Dr. Murad Hamid is a trauma surgeon and intensivist at the Vancouver General Hospital and an assistant professor of surgery at the University of British Columbia. He completed medical school and surgical residency at the University of Alberta, graduate studies in public health at Harvard University, and fellowships in trauma surgery and surgical critical care at the University of Miami. He spent three years on surgical faculty at the University of Calgary before moving to Vancouver. His research focuses on systems of trauma care and acute care surgery. Once again, Dr. Hamid, thanks very much for the privilege of having you on the uh, podcast. Let's just let's jump right in. We wanted to talk about your paper uh, that you actually identified, which was process mapping as a framework for performance improvement in emergency general surgery. Can you take us through this paper and uh, why you like this paper so much and how this uh, work that you've done could be extrapolated elsewhere? Yeah, uh, first of all, uh, Amir and Chad, thank you so much for the privilege of, uh, of having me. This is my first podcast, uh, and, uh, it's, uh, it's a thrilling thing to be, to be here. Um, and, uh, Amir, thank you for asking about the, uh, the paper that we wrote on, um, process mapping. Um, so, uh, I, my background is, uh, is, uh, trauma surgery, and, um, as you know, uh, uh, trauma surgery is a very process-driven specialty. Um, the way that trauma um, is able to adjust for uh, uncertainty and complexity is by developing standard processes for everything. Um, and um, so that's always my my perspective on uncertainty, complexity, chaos has always been standardization. And uh, this is very much the philosophy of trauma care. And um, trauma trauma providers, trauma care providers tend to see the patient journey as a long linear process or a continuum of care that starts even before the point of injury but then spans the injury and um, the pre-hospital care, the acute care, the uh, surgery, critical care, rehabilitation, etc. And um, we wanted to apply this type of uh, process perspective to acute care surgery, which is similarly, you know, similarly has a certain amount of complexity and uncertainty and unpredictability. And um, we decided to map the process of a standard emergency general surgery encounter. Um, and we picked small bowel obstruction as a, as a common emergency general surgery diagnosis. And uh, we, we, we uh, selected uh, about 100 patients with small bowel obstructions. Um, who presented uh, to to our emergency department, and um, we mapped their process in detail to see if we could uh, uh, identify variations in process or uh, variations in practice or bottlenecks in in the process. And it was fascinating to see that even something that we've seen thousands of times before, like small bowel obstruction, there's a tremendous amount of variability inherent in uh, in the process. And so, for example, time to CT scan 
could have the standard deviation of like plus or minus six hours uh, to get to CT. So for a standard test for for a common condition, why is there so much variability? <clears throat> so that's what the paper was about. It was just just trying to introduce the the notion of or the the perspective of process mapping for complex processes. And what we didn't know at the time is that um, there's an entire field, uh, industrial engineering, that is dedicated to uh, a careful analysis of process and reduction of variability in process. And um, we discovered the work of uh, Schuhart and Deming, um, who are early um, industrial engineers and statisticians. And um, we sort of examined the concept that um, if you take a complex process and divide it into micro steps and measure variability, uh, there is a certain amount of unnecessary variation in each step. And if variation can be reduced uh, at each step, the process becomes better and then the outcomes become better. And uh, so starting to look at healthcare as a series of micro steps, each with inherent variability, um, maybe one can start to optimize um, uh, the process, the patient experience, and most importantly, the outcomes. So there's a strong link to industrial engineer with engineering, which we found to be very fascinating. Can you walk us through the paper? Like, how did you um, design it? Who are the patients that you chose? And, um, and just walk us through the paper a little bit. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a simple paper, uh, very simple. Um, we we just picked 100 uh, patients with small bowel obstruction requiring surgery um, and then a cohort that was managed non-operatively. And uh, my um, my resident, who was the lead author of the paper, Kristen DiGirolamo, uh, she then with, uh, with her, uh, a team that we put together <clears throat> that includes one of our... Uh, new, new uh, surgical residents, Karan D'Souza, uh, started to measure um, the, the the steps, uh, started to first break down the experience of a patient with small bowel obstruction into discrete steps. And uh, then we started measuring time intervals to each step um, and essentially created a process map for an, in, a, a, an individual process map for every patient and um, we represented those maps graphically and uh, basically with that sort of uh, the uh, visual presentation of data, we could start to identify um, variations in process, bottlenecks and gaps in process, and then we started to quantify that just using some simple statistical analyses. Um, and then essentially the conclusion was that uh, something so common uh, as small bowel obstruction has a tremendous amount of inherent process variation, and um, our our uh, hypothesis moving forward is that that that's a, that represents a significant opportunity to improve patient care and perhaps even uh, patient outcomes. Because if we can reduce variability, uh, we can um, we can improve the process and and uh, improve the outcomes. There, this that. Diagram that you have in the paper is a really beautiful diagram, and um, it, it's striking how much variability there is for all these different patients. Be, you know, for for all these various steps in the process. Uh, what what do you think is driving all that variation? Why is there so much? 
variation and something that, you know, we expect all our medical students know, to know how to manage. Uh, yeah, uh, Amir, that's a great question. And, and that really sh- strikes to the heart of this whole endeavor is, is why do we have so much variation <laughs> in things that should be straightforward? And I, I think it's because um, surgical care has become so complex uh, and um, we, it's become really a multidisciplinary effort. And I, I think surgeons are, are team leaders, but our teams are, are multidisciplinary, uh, they're complex, uh, and our systems are complex because th- these systems have, have evolved uh, to care for patients that are increasingly complex. Um, and so I think the level of complexity in our systems is so high that um, uh, that we, we might uh, you know our, our, we might not have uh, our, our processes might have not not evolved uh, sufficiently to cope with with these complexities, and so when a patient presents with an uh, with an unknown diagnosis uh, with a variable set of comorbidities with uh, with potentially uh, with physiological extremes. Um, then we have to somehow uh, each time reinvent the wheel uh, to develop a care plan that's targeted to the, those patients, and that that's why we need to assemble these uh, these these multidisciplinary teams. And there's so many complexities in these interactions, and so I think um, that that the uh, the uh, diagnostic and therapeutic efforts just you know just become. Um, you know, uh, almost unmanageably complex. So the question is, uh, uh, can we recognize this complexity and then can we create some, some order in it? And uh, I think that's a really fun opportunity for, for, our, for our acute care systems. Morad, uh, you've published a lot, uh, a fair number of um, papers in the Canadian Journal of Surgery over the years, specifically in regards to acute care surgery or emergency general surgery. Um, why do you have such a passion for this subspecialty in this area of of, uh, of greater surgery? Um, you know, I, I uh, love uh, emergency general surgery um, because uh, uh, there's so many things I love about it. I, I love the urgency of the, the physiology, and I love the the beauty and the complexity of the anatomy. Um, I like that we have to be thoughtful and strategic, uh, and I love that we have to bring in teams that contribute their talents and integrate them in a seamless way. Um, it's also um, a privilege to, to confront uh, vulnerability and a great, a great uh, opportunity to, to restore, uh, restore function and uh, good outcomes. Um, I also love uh, emergency general surgery because it's a, it's a, it's a close proxy to trauma surgery, which is, which is my first love. And both of those specialties give us the opportunity to um, to uh, to uh, restore order from chaos in a small way um, and I think that one of the most exciting things is that emergency general surgery has a long uh, and interesting history but now it's being reimagined uh, in a new way and uh, so there's so much opportunity to reimagine it and uh, and and to sort of uh, to to evolve it um, uh, in in into new directions uh, that in, incorporate innovative thinking, um, 
but but I guess you know the the most exciting thing to me about emergency general surgery and trauma is that uh, that we get to work in teams and we get to work with some of the the best and brightest and most uh, idealistic people around. So t- to me, all of these things make uh, make this specialty uh, a, a huge pleasure and privilege to be a part of. You know, as you move forward, trying to reimagine this old but new specialty. How do you think we're going to improve our care for emergency general surgery patients as well as trauma patients? Um, yeah, you know, um, I, I recently encountered uh, a, a paper in the Harvard Business Review that talked about three waves in um, in healthcare safety. And um, the, the first wave that, that we've come through in the last few decades is technological advances. So, Surgical care has been improved um, by the adoption of new technology, such as minimally invasive surgery, for instance. And so that drastically improves uh, surgical care and surgical safety. But eventually, that 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 improvement curve starts to plateau, and there's some diminishing returns from the introduction of new technologies. And then, according to this article, the the second big wave of of uh, quality improvement and safety has been standardization and we just talked a lot about opportunities for standardization and reduction of variability and standardization using strategies such as um, ERAS for instance um, shows big benefits in in patient care and safety but again standardization only goes so far patients are unique and every process can't be standardized and so again you get some diminishing returns on standardization um, so the third wave of, uh, of safety, which I think we're at the cusp of right now in surgery and in emergency general surgery, is um, the optimization of surgical culture and the creation of high reliability in surgical care. And so this is how do teams come together? How do surgeons communicate effectively? Uh, how do we um, create plans and execute plans with, within multidisciplinary teams? How do we address complexity? And this all comes back to surgical culture, um, which I think we're only just beginning to understand. Um, and I think that the future in, in, you know, the next big opportunity for, for a quantum leap in surgical care is to really create high reliability organizations and, and strong and effective teams, or in other words, um, excellent uh, cultures of surgical care. Gotcha. I mean, you, you touched on a whole bunch of really interesting and innovative concepts there, but can you can you take those uh, really beautiful and nuanced concepts and tell us how you begin to apply them into your local environment, i.e., whether that's a, a, a primary or a secondary or a, a tertiary or a quaternary care facility, for example, like like VGH, how do you how do you get buy in and how do you how do you excite people around you, whether it's your immediate colleagues or greater multidisciplinary colleagues or nursing staff, how, how do we make that transition? Yeah, uh, thank you, um, Chad. Uh, that's a that's a great point. Uh, I um I recently um, had the privilege of becoming the, the head of the division of general surgery at the Vancouver General Hospital and um, and also uh, for the University of British Columbia and uh, this is a this is a job of a lifetime um, and um, the most important uh, privilege that I'll probably ever get and um, 
I I spent the first year just thinking about um, how how to take a first step, and uh, it, it took me some time to think about what the identity of a general surgeon is and what the identity of a division of general surgery is. And uh, it took me uh, some time to think about what our values and our mission and our vision should be. And um, I know that, you know, sometimes as general surgeons, we, we, do, we do have trouble uh, kind of crystallizing our identity because um, it, as a rule, general surgeons are multi-system thinkers um, and uh, we uh, we think of patients in the big picture, we deliver holistic care, we support um, multi-system trauma, multi-system organ failure and we our, our specialty has um, has uh, developed multiple subspecialties and so in some ways people have sometimes thought that uh, the diversity of general surgery uh, results in a in a lack of identity, um, but w- one of my colleagues, uh, who's our current one of our current residency program directors, uh, Amr Karimuddin, he kind of encouraged me to think about our diversity, the diversity of our specialty as as actually our strength. Um, the fact that we're we're venturing off in all these di- directions as subspecialists is actually a strength because it brings back new knowledge and new strategies back to our core, um, which is general surgery, which is our, our fundamental I- identity, the, the way we trained, the way we train others is as general surgeons. And so it's kind of flipping this notion that our diversity is a weakness into the idea that our diversity is our true strength uh, creates so many opportunities uh, to share ideas, to scale ideas, to um, to evolve uh, with confidence, um, and so the first thing that we realized is let's embrace the diversity of general surgery. Let's think about ourselves as um, as uh, being uh, a strong uh, but, but diverse uh, uh, group, and uh, and to learn from each other, and to organize each other, and to organize in such a way uh, that creates a lot of cross fertilization of ideas. Um, and I guess that's a pretty abstract answer, uh, Chad. We've tried to operationalize this in different ways, but the, the main point is uh, just to recognize that out of many, we're, we're one. We're, uh, we're our fundamental idea, identity is general surgeons who embrace the notion of, uh, of uh, diversity. That's super cool vision for the department, and uh, I'm getting excited just listening to it. It's <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, Chad introduced me to um, Chad. I think he was an economist, Scott Page in Michigan, um, who who talks about diversity and complexity, and and says that diversity is not just a, a moral imperative or something that's nice or idealistic. Uh, diversity is something essential for the success of complex adaptive systems, and the more diverse, the more ideas come up, the more solutions to complex problems come up. And so how do we harness that diversity? Uh, that's an organizational challenge for general surgery um, that I think that, that we're, we're beginning to embrace across the country. Um, we wanted to switch gears a little bit now and talk a little bit about you and, and your journey to this point. 
Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what drove your initial interest in surgery uh, when you were starting out? Um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> the, the origin story. <laughs> um, my uh, my my father, uh, who is my my biggest my life's biggest role model, um, he had to have a uh, a cabbage, uh, and he went to UCLA and was operated on by a surgeon named Dr. Lax. And uh, Dr. Lax was was my superhero, like from the time I can remember. Uh, he saved my father's life, and I initially started out life wanting to be a cardiac surgeon, um, but uh, I I kind of forgot about that dream for a while and. Uh, in um, medical school, uh, I met um, I met uh, two of my mentors on my my surgical rotation, Dr. Merv Laskin, who's who was a legendary uh, surgeon in Edmonton, and uh, Grant O'Keefe uh, was my chief resident, and he was um, like a gold medalist in his class and a brilliant uh, surgical thinker. And um, I, I just by chance had the privilege of working with them, and and the amazing thing is that they actually welcomed me onto their team and you know and every day they let me know in some subtle way that uh, that they cared that I was there and that they had high expectations for me and um, the work was amazing uh, the patients inspired were inspirational and uh, I, I just my my just sparked my interest in in general surgery um, and I loved it for all the reasons I told you the the acuity and the complexity and and that's really what what brought me in is, is I just felt uh, uh, felt welcome in, in in such a privileged environment. Morad, t- tell us um, synonymously about your Vorad, uh, your voyage into uh, essentially research or, or more than that, academic surgery. In other words, what what does it mean to you to be an academic surgeon? What interested you in it initially, and and where do you see it going um, in Canada in particular? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't, uh, start out life, uh, or start out my surgical training thinking that I would be an academic surgeon, and I, I still, uh, I still don't feel that I am, um, uh, an academic surgeon. That when I, when I think of academic surgeons, I think of some of my mentors, like, like Garth Warnock, or, or Steve Cohn, or, um, Lori Rothstein. There, there are many, you know, brilliant, powerful thinkers, uh, in Canadian surgery. Um, uh, who um, who advance the fields and uh, and and uh, do so with with rigorous uh, science, um, but but uh, I guess uh, when I started working um, as a fellow and then as an attending, two of my mentors, uh, Steve Cohn and and Janice Pasika, picked up on something that that I actually cared about deeply, which was public health, which is sort of big picture thinking in in health systems and. And they encouraged and empowered me to find connections between surgery and public health, um, and that's really been my angle for the past twenty years. Um, uh, the other thing about academic surgery is is something that I love even more, which is the opportunity to see residents uh, transform their intelligence and idealism and energy through this miraculous process of surgical training um, into this incredible skill and judgment of wisdom of, uh, of becoming excellent surgeons. So uh, so I, I'm a fan of like finding ways to connect your individual passions to, to surgery and also um, helping 
or seeing um, your trainees do the same. And uh, I guess my perspective on academic surgery and the future of academic surgery in Canada is that it's it's going to be something that that um, uh, allows ideas to come from anywhere and uh, that uh, picks up the best ideas uh, from any field, uh, whether it's you know basic science, education, global surgery, um, literature, uh, media, um, uh, you know, and 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 finds ways to make things that people are passionate about uh, advance the frontiers of surgery. Um, so I think I, I I feel like the next era in academic surgery will be uh, just to to embrace. Um, the ideas that come from the surgeons that are entering the specialty. Um, and I think it's our job to ensure that people uh, can uh, have opportunities to express what they're passionate about and in so doing, um, realize their full potential. It almost seems like an oxymoron to talk about surgery and public health. Can you uh, <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit what that what that means to you? You know, it's, it's funny that, that you say that it seems like an oxymoron because I mean, uh, so many people, so many surgeons do masters in public health now, but it wasn't always the case. Um, uh, like 25 years ago, um, surgeons didn't really even know what public health was. Uh, uh, but the point is uh, that I, I think that the, the surgery always has been a driving force in public health. Like, for instance, when you when you think about trauma, which is a foundational specialty in general surgery, um, trauma deals with injury control, and <clears throat> the way that uh, uh, that that the world or the way that society confronts the pandemic of injury is to create systems of injury prevention, um, uh, systems of trauma care, uh, tra- building trauma centers, building inclusive trauma systems, um, uh, adapting helicopters to fly patients, and then and then building all of this sort of uh, a systems approach on the continuous collection and analysis of data to, to optimize the process. And this whole idea of taking a societal approach to a problem, um, trying to identify its determinants, uh, trying to measure its properties, and trying to optimize the processes that respond to those determinants. That's all public health. And surgeons, um, like surgeons in the American College of Surgeons or the Trauma Association of Canada, uh, they drive that process because they're on the front lines of these pandemics. Um, they have access to data. They see the, the human cost of, um, of injury. And, um, and they are the ones that were inspired to, to create these sort of System-wide or society-wide approaches to a surgical condition. So, it's. I think fundamentally, um, surgeons are are public health champions, and uh, I think we're we're recognizing that and formalizing that more and more. I think you're so so right and dead on there, Morad. And I, I agree. You know, in the 20 plus years I've known you, there's certainly been an explosion of of focus on public health, and I think a lot of that certainly in Canada has really been led by you and. Um, it's been remarkable to watch and, and remarkable to engage in on occasion, and uh, um, you should really be proud of that, I think, forever. 
I was wondering if you could um, talk to us not only about the T6 project specifically, but also that that journey or that voyage into the entrepreneur side uh, from the, the you know the busy surgical side. It's foreign to certainly most of us. Um, yeah, Chad. Thank you so much for for asking about it. Uh, so I um, had the opportunity to to be a, a founder uh, of a company, T6 Health Systems, which essentially designed a um, digital user interface that is uh, optimized to collect data in real time uh, at the point of trauma resuscitation and uh, trauma surgery. And um, collecting data uh, in real time uh, and putting in a digital format um, uh, opens up so many opportunities for uh, data analytics. And uh, uh, if you're collecting data, you can uh, trigger uh, practice guidelines and checklists and you can measure um, processes and um, measure variation in processes, you can measure outcomes, you can create maps, uh, geographic maps. Um, and all this work just really stems from the the idea that um, that real-time data capture in, in data-rich environments such as the point of acute healthcare um, coupled with near real-time data analysis uh, has the potential to uh, to transform healthcare and health systems and even public health, and I think all of us recognize the importance of um, of data in, uh, in in driving or at least informing um, healthcare. But we also know that there are still wide gaps between knowledge, action, and performance. Um, so we started out this uh, whole journey. Um, me and uh, a few of my colleagues, uh, Iman Zargran, who's a trauma surgeon in Vancouver, and Nadine Sherman, who's a health geographer um, at Simon Fraser University, we started this as an idea to bring uh, trauma registries uh, to low-resource settings and uh, um, austere trauma environments. But the idea has grown broader uh, into a broader effort to, to harness technology to advance um, analytics uh, to ensure that point-of-care data can actually empower individuals and systems and cultures uh, to improve performance. Um, re regarding the, the startup uh, company, uh, then that whole um, that whole area of endeavor uh, that may one thing that may be worth mentioning is that the launching a startup, um, uh, especially for someone who's not a business person or who's ever thought about business, uh, can be difficult. Um, and it's it's mainly because um, a startup uh, uh, navigates a, a series of failures, and it's failures that actually guide the way uh, forward. And um, it uh, the idea of rep repetitively failing to accomplish what you hope to accomplish uh, reinforces everything that we know about uh, everything that we hear about getting up off the canvas every time you're uh, knocked out. Um, it, it makes you humble and it makes you uh, uh, committed to the idea and, and so but but what we've learned through through failing in this whole startup process is that failures create new opportunities and, and new avenues for exploration and um, that exploration will continue um, as long as it's it's guided by idealism and by people who share the same values um, so I, I found it to be true that the values and the people in any venture are 
more critical to the success of the venture than the specific idea or business model. And uh, so the startup experience has, has taught me to take a long view on success and failure. And as a former former general surgery residency program director and current chief, do you have any advice for current trainees? Um, for myself, as someone who's uh, just has to write a small quiz at the end of the year, uh, or people who are starting <laughs> out, or even medical students. Uh, you have a small quiz coming up. Yeah, as an R five small quiz at the end <laughs> of the year. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, uh, Amir, I, I think. I don't have any wisdom or any good advice, but I'll just say that I think I think the main thing I've, I've kind of learned is that at all levels, uh, uh, I would say that that every surgeon should constantly remember that that their unique identity and perspective or, or passion um, is the source of our of our collective strength as a specialty um, and. You know, I I used to worry sometimes that whatever is unique about me or or whatever is unique about my my residents uh, would get crushed by the demands of surgical training and practice. Um, but but um, I think over time I've realized that what's unique about us or our, our unique spark it's it's not it can't easily be extinguished. And in fact, our our unique perspectives and 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 passions and background are, are actually the source of our success as surgeons and teachers and researchers. And so whatever it is that, that, you know, motivates you and inspires you, it's important, I think, to bring it forward into the discipline and, and to, and in so doing to, to move our discipline forward. Um, so for example, one of my, one of my colleagues told me that she wanted to work on climate change or, uh, another told me that she wanted to to mentor high school students to pursue careers in science and medicine. Um, so the possibilities are just by those two examples that they're they're endless. And I think it's as I said before, it's it's our duty to ensure that um, that we all pursue these possibilities and and support each other to to reach our full potential. Um, and finally, uh, one piece of advice that I'll just pass on from from one of my mentors, um, <clears throat> Richard Simons. I wish I would have thought of this idea, but when I asked uh, Dr. Simons um, how to prepare, uh, how to plan for my career uh, in five and ten-year plans, um, he told me that that in this in this surgical life, it's it's nearly impossible to to predict the future uh, ten years from now or, or even five years from now um, because. The job or the title that you you think you want in five years from now, like for example, being a staff surgeon at an academic center or being a program director, being, even being a department head, it may that opportunity may simply not be available when you're ready for it. And what's infinitely more interesting is you might find opportunities five years from now that you had never previously imagined. So. So the best thing that, that one can do to, to prepare for an uncertain and, and and promising future is just to do one's best and to be aware in the moment. And uh, Dr. Simons uh, advised us to, to live according to our ideals, to stay healthy, to be mindful and to be great at, at our clinical practices every day, to pay attention to our patients, to pay attention to our students and our, and our residents. 
um, and remember that we're their role models. And I think that if we approach each day with this attitude of excellence, it just opens up unforeseen opportunities uh, that that we would, that that we might not ever have imagined. So, I guess the idea is just to to stay in the moment and keep exploring and to keep making uh, choices that that inspire you. And I think that that creates a world of opportunities. You've been listening to Cold Steel, the official podcast of the Canadian Journal of Surgery. If you've liked what you've been listening to, please leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your comments and feedback, so feel free to email us at podcast.cjs at gmail.com or connect with us on Twitter at CanJSurge. Thanks again.